This week, executive and musical artist Rob Markman shares his origin story. It's a classic, turned up to 11 and with plenty of twists. These are your friends and neighbors. Rob Markman impressed me from the jump. Born in Flatbush, Brooklyn, Rob put himself through Hunter College, working in the mailroom of a tween fashion catalog. His supervisor dissuaded him from trying to move to the copy department, despite the fact that he was moonlighting for the New York Post and XXL Magazine, where he filed two album reviews to other contributors one. See, a million years ago, I helped launch MTV News onto the World Wide Web. My dream job had been Rockstar, but Rock Journalist was a very, very close second. I read Rolling Stone cover to cover from the time I was 10 and made comp reels of MTV Rockumentaries on VHS. So it still blows my 15-year-old music fan mind to have had a front row seat there for so long. I saw Green Day perform in an empty Radio City Music Hall. I saw Kanye interrupt Taylor, then get escorted from the building. I never got used to being that close to it all. But many of my colleagues had long since forgotten what it felt like to be a fan. The magic was gone. Tickets were free, access was granted, drinks were provided. But one crew had fandom on lock. They were in the mix every night, building the culture, covering and celebrating its heroes. These were real shoe leather journalists. When Little Wayne was being released from Rikers Island, they fanned out across the five boroughs to cover the story from every available angle. And they lived for the scoop, publishing 24-7, pioneering all the time. They were first to social media. Uh, they produced a weekly live stream well before it was easy. And they spearheaded what was once one of the most debated, discussed, and disagreed upon lists in the music industry. Hottest MCs, an annual list of the hip-hop artists that are the most now, right now. Now the ranking was based on data, sure, but largely it was based on a fierce, passionate discussion among the MTV Brain Trust. That Brain Trust, Sway Calloway, Ramon Dukes, Whitney Gale Benta, Rob Markman, among others, continues to shape the intersection of media, technology, and music at places like Spotify, Sirius, Genius, and beyond. Today, Rob is the VP of Content Strategy at Genius, a technology company whose platform empowers annotation on any web page, but really excels at rap lyrics. Rob built artist relations there before moving on to content strategy across their shows, podcasts, and more. But Rob's EGOT odds really blew up a few years ago when, short version, he freestyled a few bars on a radio show, got signed, and dropped a well-received debut album, Right to Dream. Dudes played Barclays since then, capacity 19,000. And this year he's been releasing new tracks, features, and collabos every 15 days. So from where I'm standing, Rob's made an amazing, successful pivot from journalist to executive and musical artist in his mid-30s as a father out of nowhere. So I was dying to hear how he pulled it off. So this week, over the course of two separate conversations, Rob and I hopscotched through his Brooklyn upbringing, trace his journey from a Queens mailroom to the vanguard of music, media, and technology, and talk about how he's meeting the moment as an executive, an artist, and a father. Let's dive in, all right? Go back to where it starts. Take me to the environment. What's happened on the streets around you? What's happening in the home? We grew up in Flatbush, Brooklyn, and I took a lot of my cues from my older brother and my older sister. They were the barometer of cool for me. Just seeing my brother come home, whatever he was coming home with, whether it was the Adidas tracksuit or a Sherlin jacket, it was just the epitome of cool. And then it boiled down to also the music he was listening to. 
So I, I just wanted to do everything like my older brother was doing. Yeah. I was the annoying little brother, I guess. Me too. My sister, if she wanted to go out, she had to take me out and it was the rule in the house and she never liked that. So I, I was like the annoying little brother. Nobody really sat me down and taught me anything, you know, in that sense. My big brother literally handed me a couple of records that changed, like physically handed me them. And each one of them was seminal. So you never know, right? Sometimes that's the case, but either way, it's powerful. Yeah, it was me. It was listening to my brother's tapes when he wasn't around. Um, EPMD was, was somebody that he was a big fan of and Redman, Run DMC, Ice Cube, like NWA, like all that type of stuff. And I just assumed I wasn't allowed to listen to the music based off of the content. I didn't think my parents would really approve of it. Right. And then when, when I got to a certain age, I realized my mom didn't care. My mom was listening to Biggie like I was listening to Biggie. Uh, yeah, that's great. So, growing up in Brooklyn, hip hop was all around. It was the most exciting thing ever. How did it occur to you that you had a gift of words? I used to sit in my bedroom pretty early on and it just started listening to my favorite rap songs and writing the lyrics out. You know, it's so funny that I, yeah. I'm a genius now and genius is the digital version of that. But that's how I started. It was just like, oh, I love this song. Let me write out these lyrics to Nice and Smooth or these Slick Rick lyrics. And it went from that, from being in my bedroom to like, okay, let me write my own lyrics in this flow. And we, we take the flow and the cadence of whatever song was popular and go back to the school the next day in the schoolyard and make up our own words to like an LL Cool J song, me and my boy Lou mm-hmm. and me and my boy Melvin. We just be in the schoolyard rapping LL Cool J, but substituting our own words for it. So it probably started there. Yeah. At first, I wasn't even going to go to college. And I tried to play that thing with my dad. Like, yo, I think I might take a year off to do this music thing and, and just kind of find myself. At that point, I was in high school. I was doing music. I had just started going to the studio at like 17. And he was like, nah, if you're going to live under my roof, you're going to go to school. A year later, by the time I was 18, I moved out, like, on my own. Yeah. I was just like, okay, I want to be in my home. And I moved out and I worked my way through college. Yeah. I'm working in the mailroom and I'm putting myself through college. And it took me about five years to graduate, maybe. I have a, a college degree. I have a BA. And I really had no prospects. And I had my first son on the way. And, and it just didn't happen for me right away. And I used to get made fun of for working in the mailroom, for being like a college degree and working in the mailroom. Like I used to find, you know, mistakes, typos and stuff like that before they went to print. Oh, they'll surely hire me then because, you know, I'm helping them out during my lunch break. Nope, still didn't hire me. I had a friend, uh, it's still a friend, one of my good friends that I went to high school and to college with, Tim Hotep. He had started working at Complex Magazine when they would just print and when they had just started. And he needed somebody to write an album review for him. And he called me because he knew I could write. I did two album reviews for Complex. And then I got an album review on Vibe. And then the source called me and said, hey, we saw your name. Would you like to write for us? So while I was working in the mailroom, I was getting freelance gigs, writing album reviews for all the top hip hop and music magazines. Did it feel like there's just these people who blocked you along the way? Yeah, it definitely felt like there were like ceilings that I was bumping into and, and, you know, I, they didn't see the the possibility. They didn't see the potential in me the way I, I knew I had it. Yeah. So I just knew I needed a shot. Where do you think that voice comes from when these guys are trying to keep you stuck in the mailroom and you're like, Mm-mm, I'm seeing bigger. I've seen a lot of my friends not make it. Yeah. Through circumstances that just weren't in their control, wrong place, wrong time. When I grew up, my brother that I told you about that was so cool and I wanted to do everything with, got arrested and caught a serious charge and had to um, do prison time. 
Yeah. That's when I started to change a little bit and, and was like, oh, wow. Like, it's a cold world out here. Yeah. Like, and, and if you kind of make the wrong moves and if you're not moving forward and, and, and then you can get caught up. And I've had a cousin who was murdered behind street activity. My best friend's brother, who was the DJ in our neighborhood, was murdered when we were about 12 years old. So that kind of tragedy had a profound effect. Right. I love my neighborhood. I cherish it. I wouldn't change it. But I didn't want to be stuck there for the rest of my life. I wanted to keep moving. And I think it starts with that. And then when you just set a goal, it's just accomplishing it. I'm also a sore loser. So I hate, I just hate feeling like if I'm not winning or I hate taking an L. So it's like, man, I'm going to adjust my game to turn that L into a W and not let anybody push off that negativity on me into the fact that it affects what I think about myself. Is that a parent thing, for example? Is that something you get from one of your folks? My dad, when I was younger, worked two jobs. He worked a day job and he worked overnight. But somehow he was always around. So when I came home after school, he would come home a little while after me and take us to play basketball, come out back, have dinner, and then go to his next job. And then when I wake up in the morning, my dad is there ready to take him to the bus stop. So I just seen him do whatever he had to do just to take care of his family. Yeah. I guess that's where a lot of that comes from. So, and then my mom is pretty tough. My mom just didn't take from anybody. I know you have a lot of love for your mother because I feel like I've seen her quite a lot on social media, a lot of respect and love. On my mother's side, my great uncle, this is my grandmother's brother. His name was Willie Bobo, a pretty accomplished and well-known Latin jazz musician in his day. And his son, Eric, is a part of Cypress Hill, the rap group Cypress Hill. Oh, sure. okay. We've always had like musical people in our family. And that comes a lot from my mother's side. Let's go to MTV News. I just remember meeting you and being like, this guy's just fierce. It was tough for me at XXL. I was looking to get out. Yeah, sounds like it. I just felt underappreciated and- Unsupported. Verbally abused and unsupported. And in two weeks, I think two to three weeks after that blow up at my job when I was like, yo, I got to get out of here. The MTV thing materialized and it really changed my life between Ramon and yourself and Sway. Yeah. Yeah, I really kind of changed the whole trajectory of my career. You changed the trajectory of your career, man. It's yeah. a strong, strong, strong crew, right? For sure. I kind of came there just to write. I think the one thing, the yeah. one property that MTV News had at the time was Hottest MCs. Yeah. I think we were talking about hip hop and obviously I had strong opinions and he was like, well, you better show up for Hottest MCs because we're going to need that, da 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 And that's when I was like, oh, wow, yeah, there's an on-camera component to this. But it wasn't like a regular thing. Yeah. But Sway and I had met a little while before that. But we didn't know each other, but really getting to know Sway and MTV, it was maybe my third or fourth day there. And he was like, man, you're going to yeah. get an opportunity to be on camera here. I see it for you. I can't tell you when, and I can't tell you how. Yeah. All I can tell you is be ready and when the camera goes on, do not change who you are. The same guy you are right here, be that and, and you're going to be okay. I remember I just came in strictly wanting to write and do a good job writing. And I remember the requirement was that I had to write four new stories a day. <laughs> what I did was I put the bar above that. I, I remember there were days I would write six or seven. Like yep. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be satisfied with just writing four stories a day because I felt like I really had to prove myself in that building because it was such hollow ground. What is the hottest moment? When did the heat of that discussion about who was the hottest MC in the game get like uncomfortable or did it never? I remember one time French Montana didn't make the list and he had a show the very next day in SOBs. And I, I'm a big French Montana fan. Yeah. And I went to the show 
And when I walked into the show, people looked at me like if they saw like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You can't walk in here after you guys and then put them on the list. And, and I'm just like, what? Like, I'm a fan. Yeah. I remember Nikki, I think she was the first woman hottest MC and getting the reaction of, of Nikki Minaj. We, we caught her reaction. We were at Houston in the All-Star game. And the same thing. They wouldn't give us an interview. Like, nobody in the NBA would help us. And I said, well, listen, if we just walk around the Toyota Center, and if I can find Nikki's dressing room, we're going to get that interview just based yeah. on the relationship. And sure enough, walking around the Toyota Center, literally a door that with a star in it that said Nikki Minaj. <laughs> I said, that's it. And when Nikki saw us in the hallway with the MTV camera and the mic cube and the flag, oh, you guys want an interview? All right, come on. By the way, that's just another example. Someone else might have been like, well, we don't have the official approval to the interview or whatever. You're like, no, no, no. I'm a reporter. We're going to find the door. We're going to knock on the door. You know, if Nikki said, nah, hey, I don't feel like doing it, that's respect and that's cool. And, and there was plenty of times we got told no, but somebody from the culture needs to tell me no. Like the, yeah. some NBA officials not going to tell me what I can and can't do. Catch me up to genius. You weren't at MTV anymore, so you, you had moved on. I started seeing a ceiling or... Yeah. or maybe not a pathway for growth. And I was like, okay, I, I could stay here and do everything that I did twice. Right. Do it all over again, but what's new? And at the time, Genius was strictly a lyrics website with annotations, which was great because there was nothing on the net like it. Yeah. I think Eminem had just joined on as an investor, so they were definitely making noise and they were definitely doing their thing, but there wasn't a media component to it. And the first time they called me, I was like, ah, oh, you guys are crazy. At first it was like, man, I'm going to leave all this. Like I'm at MTV, are you crazy? They called me back. I said, look, I'll think about it. Just give me a week. And they called me back. We decided to meet. And when I came to the space, to the office, and I met the co-founders, it just felt like home right away. Yeah. Same thing with MTV and MTV News in particular, hollow ground. So tons of history before I got there. I was grateful to add on to it. And it's still going to be MTV News when I leave. And that was fine. And to me, that's like playing for the Yankees, right? When you play for the Yankees, you're expected to win championships. And genius to me felt like this new cool team where we could build something together and I could be part of, of building something up rather than to continue and build something that was already built. So that was the challenge for me. And that was the excitement. What is the moment where you stood there going like, well, maybe you haven't had one, but like, how did I get here? Like, this is pretty great. Like, I don't know, you're backstage with somebody or you're in the studio with somebody. Has there been one of those? There's been several of those. Yeah. Interviewing Mariah Carey at Genius Level. And it was a live interview we did and having my mom there because I remember the day my mom came home with the Mariah Carey's first album. Hearing my record on Hot 97 for the first time, I cried. Yeah, man, you must have. They played it at two o'clock in the afternoon. Shout out to DJ Enough. They played it right after Kendrick Lamar record. It just felt like, holy shit, like you're in the game. And performing at Barclays. I performed at Barclays Center yeah. and had my dad and my mom there, my brother and my family, my kids, my wife, all of that, just like watching. As That's incredible. And I was making songs in my basement. I would share them with people. I would send them to Sway, see what they think. Even Logic, the rapper, the artist Logic was a big influence. And he was like, yeah, man, you should do it. And I'd send them tracks and we kind of talk about them. And John Bellion was another one I would send like freestyles to. You know, it was just for my homies and it was still just a basement thing. Then one day I went to go do an interview with Charlemagne and Angela Yee and DJ Envy over at the Breakfast Club. And it was really to talk about genius and promote genius. And it was a moment when Charlemagne had said, Rob, your career is so great. I love how you can be an example for people that they just don't have to be rappers. Yeah. Thank God you never used to rap. 
<laughs> and he laughed and he was like, right, you never used to rap, right? And then I was stuck there at a moment because I could have lied and just went on with the interview, but I knew this is the Breakfast Club. This is the biggest radio show in the culture. And I, I knew all my friends that I grew up with were watching and they knew the real me. And I was like, no, nah, actually I used to rap. Yeah. And so then this, oh man, oh, da, 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 kick something. What was your first round? I was like, I don't remember my first round, but I, you know, whatever, I could kick you something that I wrote last week. Because again, I'm still actively doing it, it's just in secret. So I kicked the freestyle, I kicked the rhyme that I had wrote about the week before, and they were like, oh, shit, that was actually kind of good. Ah. And that part went a little bit viral. And I remember getting a text from like Killer Mike, and Killer Mike is not somebody who I speak too often. We have tons of love and respect from each other from Run the Jewels, but it's not like we speak every day. He had no reason to hit me up, but Killer Mike saw it and he was like, yo, keep going. I like that. Ah, and then I hooked up with my friend Hovane, who's now a cinematic music. And he said, yo, I think we could get you like a deal at Empire if you want it. And Empire Distribution came on and signed a deal and put out the first project off of just hearing that one acapella freestyle on The Breakfast Club. Wow. Dude. I'm big on, you got to dream it first. You got to uh-huh. see the big picture. Yeah. I was writing album reviews for The Source and I knew I wasn't the best. I knew there were writers who were better than me. But what I told myself was, I knew I was good enough. And then I said, nobody else is going to outwork me. So even right. the, the ones that are better than me, great. God bless them. I'm going to kill them with output. I'm going to outwork everybody and I'm going to earn my keep. When I was at Freelancing for the Source, they would give me a week to write an album review. And I'd turn it in in three days. I remember you telling me that. Even with the rapping and the lyrical, like, I'm good. Like, you could put me on the track with whoever the greatest is. I'm going to sound like I belong. Yeah. We always have our debates and rap about who was better, Jay-Z or Nas or Kendrick or J. Cole. And that debate will last forever. But I know if I got on the track with anybody, there's not going to be a clear difference of just like, oh my God, Rob is just doesn't belong. Like, I'm in the conversation. Yeah. One of the things that inspired me, and maybe I never told you this, and now's the perfect time, you're an executive at MTV. You're the boss. You're, you're the guy. And we always had a pretty cool relationship. Oh, dude. You invited me to a screening because you had done the documentary on, on Mr. Rogers. It was so dope to me because I was like, oh, he has a whole other passion. I know you did music too. But I was like, he has a whole other passion outside of work, outside of MTV. Yeah. And he did it. And this has nothing to do with MTV. And it's beautiful. That was like a moment for me where I saw like, oh, my career could take off professionally and I don't necessarily have to let go of the other creative things that I'm passionate about. What I liked the most, particularly about the era that we were working together is there was a lot of, and this really goes to Dave, I think, a lot of tolerance for trying things. And that's not always true. I came into MTV as the hip hop guy. Yeah. But when I left, guess who I've interviewed? Lady Gaga. Yeah. Katy Perry, as well as Kendrick Lamar, as well as Rest in peace to Mac Miller, who I love dearly. And we did try a lot of things. Rat Fix, I think, was a revolutionary show for the time. There's a mind state you get in as a creative person often, chefs too, whatever, where you just stop sweating the little stuff, right? You're just in the process. Is that what you're talking about? The most exciting part for me is the process of creation. Everything else is just a bonus. I remember one time Pusha T told me that I had been making some strides in the music and started getting notoriety. And he's like, yo, you know, you won already. No matter what this thing streams, no matter what it sells, no matter what happens, you won because 
moving from a journalist to an artist, at least in the world's eyes, you know, making that transition wasn't supposed to happen. There was no real blueprint for you to do that. And the fact that you did it is the win. Everything else is just the bonus. So live in the bonus. Yeah. It was great advice and I've been doing that. So I just create with no expectation. You know, the only expectation is to fulfill myself. Mm-hmm. And then anything that comes from it is a bonus. It was great to connect with Rob and dig into some of the details of his journey and lessons from along the way, but I'd gotten flummoxed. The rush of MTV memories was unexpectedly overwhelming, and his generosity with my role in his career was a little disorienting. Plus, I could hear my girls downstairs and knew it was time to rap. So I hung up, motivated and inspired, but also a little unnerved. I couldn't help but think I'd left something on the field, that I needed to ask more, to go deeper, to ask about songwriting, uh, to ask about how he talks to his sons about racial justice. So I called back. And Rob generously snuck away from his boys' Sunday afternoon Fortnite competition to spend a few more minutes with me. I want to talk about writing process. I'm interested in where it starts for you. It's the same thing like writing an article or even doing an interview. It's all rooted in storytelling and good storytelling. That's how I always view a song. Sometimes it just starts with the music and the music will invoke a a certain feeling. So I'll get beats from producers that I work with. And the music makes you feel something and then you start tapping into those emotions and and the words start coming out. Sometimes I have songs that I wanna write or things that I wanna say or experiences that that I wanna bring to light before I have the music for it. When I did my first project, Right to Dream, the first song is called Last Night. It's about a story where I was almost shot when I was 18 years old and just wrong place, wrong time. That always had a profound effect on me because I have friends who have been shot. I have friends who had went to jail. I have friends who had kind of fell to certain circumstances. And as close as I was to being shot, when I woke up the next morning, the reality was I wasn't. And I should kind of live each day to the fullest for the people who didn't have that luxury, who maybe weren't as lucky as I was. So the song was called Last Night. It was written from the perspective of me waking up in the morning reflecting mm-hmm. on what happened last night and then looking at my days ahead. Yeah. And I always knew that one, I wanted that to be the intro. I always knew I wanted to tell that story before I even had the music. So in that aspect, I, I may have not had the words, but I had the concept. And then it was finding the music and linking up with producers and finding music that matched that feeling. And Dakota, so cinematic from the Latin at the top and the piano and just such a broad soundscape. And then you pulling in actual quotes at the end. I mean, man, that is a, quite a picture. The Dakota too was kind of, a, as much as that's about John Lennon and he was shot and murdered in front of his building, the Dakota, if you're in New York City, that's a famous landmark. That's a little bit of personal. John Lennon died on December 8th. My grandmother's birthday is December 8th. Mm. So when I was a kid, she used to tell me the story. When she grew older and she got dementia, she would tell the story over and over and over and over again. The guy who killed him, Chapman, was yeah. a fan, like got his autograph hours before. Right. And really, man, what does that say about good and evil in this world, right? And, and what does that say about fame and celebrity? Yeah. And I just wanted to dive into all these things. It, it was a dude who sang, all we are saying is give peace a chance. And yeah. he died in the most violent way yeah. possible in front of his family, in front of his wife. So I just kind of wanted to explore those things. Quite often we hear those tales, I think, told from like the hoods that we grew up in and the ghetto, so to speak definitely neighborhoods where I came up in in Flatbush, Brooklyn, but it is really kind of like a human horror. Yeah, It didn't stop John Lennon from being killed, all the money and the fame and the wealth 
didn't stop him from going out like maybe how my cousin went out and nobody knows who my cousin is. So, you know, it was just kind of grappling with those things. Social injustice, racial injustice was something that I wanted to ask you about. You got two boys. How are you talking to those guys right now? One of the positive sides to the pandemic and the stay at home order that we all kind of received is I'm home for dinner. Yeah. I'm home for the dinner time conversations and news is on and we talk about the news and, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that my sons, their reality growing up is a little different than mine. Yeah. Growing up in a vastly different neighborhood than what I grew up in. And they're not seeing the things that, that I saw. Even when they listen to my music, they're like, hey, dad, did you really like almost get shot? So, you know, th their reality is a little different. I do believe that this country was built on racism. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> if you just go back to the early days of yep. what the founding fathers had done to Native people, there are principles, there are things now that we kind of learn that are inherently racist, but unless you really study it, you don't know. It just kind of feels like the American way. And just talking to them and forcing them to kind of re-examine things that they learned in school and look at it from the untold stories and things that they may not have perspective on. So, you know, it's a constant conversation. Yeah. You know, I'm biracial and there's certain things that come with that. You know what I'm saying? My skin is not as dark. So there's colorism. I, I don't get judged certain ways. But I remember one time riding with a friend who happened to be white and we got pulled over by the police. So, and I was driving. As soon as we got pulled over, I put both hands on the wheel. I turned down the music, you know, 10 and two, like everything that they teach you. Yes, sir. No, sir. And my friend was laughing at me. Like, why are you acting like that? Like, you, you just get pulled over. It's going to be fine. And I realized he didn't understand because that wasn't his reality. Yeah. So I think about that night a lot. All right. This is levity, man. I'm going to do a rapid round for you. What's your top jam? I would say new edition. Can you stand the rain? Awesome. Comfort food. My mother's Bened and Arosi Gandules. Favorite place? Like favorite place to be on earth? Brooklyn is my favorite place on earth. Favorite movie? The Godfather is my favorite movie, hands down. Favorite book? My favorite book is The Alchemist. The whole takeaway of the book is that anything you want in life, the universe will conspire to help you to get it. So mm -hmm. it's just about reading the signs around you, going for it, taking the losses as lessons, and just believing and having faith in the journey that the outcome, that everything will be all right. Who's your hero? My dad's my hero just because I see him do whatever it takes to take care of his family. That's the one guy that I know that shows up for everybody every time that it's needed. I know I can go to my dad for anything and he'll be there. And last one, what's your motto? You have a right to dream. It's my own personal motto. And, you know, you have a right to dream and, and nobody has the right to step on that. As long as you're not hurting anybody and, and your dream isn't some perverse <laughs> thing, you know what I'm saying? A dream that makes you feel good, that makes you feel happy, that makes you feel accomplished, like go for it. And, and nobody should get in the way of that. Listen to Rob talk. Neighborhood, heart, perspective, process, creation. Little wonder I have such respect and admiration for him. He's on top of his game, pushing hard, overperforming, over-delivering, off-the-charts initiative in the middle of a global pandemic with steady-handed, pragmatic optimism, grace, and humility. And at the center of it all is story, where we come from, who we are, what we've endured. Double click though, and Rob goes even deeper. All of his work as a journalist, an executive, a hip hop artist, digs into the meaning of things, inspiration, process, context, 
consequences. His quest for connection, meaning, and explanation empowers us all to sift through our own stories, our own words for deeper connection, explanation, and meaning. Rob reminds us what we share, the loss of Dakota, the passion of MCs, the near misses, twists of fate, sweat, tears, and triumphs that mark us and make us who we are. Friends and Neighbors is brought to you by Mr. Rogers and Me, available to stream or download to own on Apple Movies and Amazon Prime or on DVD at shop.pbs.org. Friends and Neighbors is a Wagner Brothers production. Watch on Facebook and YouTube, listen on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to the newsletter at friendsandneighborsshow.com. Ha, 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 ha.